This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 12 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, dealing with hard economic times as an equine business owner. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. I am Glenn the Geek. And I'm Helena B. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. I'll tell you what, Helena, we missed you last week. Oh, I missed you too. I know we were talking about cloning, the subject that you were so looking forward to talking about. And here you had laryngitis and couldn't talk at all. I know. And you know what? It killed me. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> you know, I even mentioned that on the show. I said, you know, I bet you this is just killing Helena, but her husband is so happy. <laughs> My family didn't know what to do. I mean, it was like complete <laughs> silence in this house. <laughs> All right. Well, I know we have a lot of guests, more than we've ever had on one show before. So why don't we get right into it? All right. Today, on uh, coming up on today's show, we've got um, well, several guests, as Glenn said, and we're going to discuss how the hard economic times have affected the horse industry. And we'll also talk about ways you can strengthen your business despite the economic ups and downs. Uh, we have with us, our co-host today is Lori Cerny, and she's from One, One Horse Press. Welcome, Lori. Hello there. Uh, Lori is a professional journalist and a marketing professional who's won numerous state and national awards for her writing, photography, graphic design, and advertising in both mainstream media and within the horse industry. So um, we'll actually let Lori give a little bit more of her background to you herself because I'm sure to butcher it. Um, so we welcome Lori. She's going to be um, piping in with Glenn and I on the different subjects as we talk today. We also have Megan Lanzaroni of Team CEO Eventing in Lexington, Kentucky, as well as Todd Branson, who is the Senior Manager of Marketing for the um, American Quarter Horse Association, the AQHA. And finally, we have Ingrid from a company called, uh, well, here we go, uh, yeah, Equinovation. Well, good Equinovation, yep. Yeah, we'll let Ingrid really tell us how to say that one. <laughs> so lots of guests, lots of stuff to talk about. And uh, Glenn, what do we got? All right. So, Laura, you wrote a book, and, and that's one of the main reasons I found you in the research I was doing on on what how horse businesses survive in hard economic times. And I'll tell you what, I made some calls around yesterday, and there are two – big organizations here in the area that do horse rescues, and they're really flooded with horses right now. I, I actually, in my research for this, discovered that the economic times, that they are affecting the horse world more than I thought they would be, because in the past, the horse world was a little delayed. Wouldn't you agree with that, Lori? A little bit insulated, but we're, um, I'm based here in Michigan, and we actually started to, obviously, with our economy and one of the worst. Well, you have the car companies up there laying off tons of people, right? Yes. So Michigan probably was about two years ahead of everybody else, and we started seeing problems in the horse industry uh, well over a year ago. Last year, we started seeing people actually let horses 
skull in some of our different uh, state parks, which was very disturbing. And recently our local newspaper, which I do write for, um, had a large article about, again, the horse rescue groups being flooded. And, again, this isn't, these aren't people, um, you know, at, at our lower economic class. These are middle-class people who have their, their homes have been foreclosed, and they have no, they've already tried to sell their horses. Um, on any given day, you can buy good papered uh, baby uh, horses for two to $300, some of the different quarter horse wow. sales we've gone to. Um, very disturbing, um, you know, horses that have stood in the top ten of quarter horse Congress with foals by their side for Eight to a thousand dollars, and plus bred back too. Something we were there at Quarter Horse Congress for the auction that one day, where they, the the, the mm-hmm. whole day where they have the auction there, and I was mm-hmm. shocked at how low the prices were. Well, and that's what we've been seeing in Michigan, and we've had a couple um, significant horse businesses. One of our largest uh, tax shops that was here in Southwest Michigan uh, folded several months ago. It was a shock to all of us. Which um, one was the that? Horse community, pardon. Which one was that? Um, it was Millbrook. Um, oh, yeah, okay. And, and trailer, and they had just expanded. It was a phenomenal tech um, show. They had always, um, they were at Congress last year, and um, uh, again, just uh, tough economic times, and I was certainly glad to hear from you folks, and it was good uh, uh, timing with the book um, that I've just released, Marketing and Promoting Your Horse Business. Tell us about and- the book. Um, well, the book really came out of, um, you know, again, what I've been seeing here in Michigan, and um, I do teach uh, professional writing and marketing classes as well as journalism, and some of the things that I teach um, that these business students would go out and apply in the business world, I would look at how maybe some of the different horse businesses weren't applying these things like customer service, um, like advertising, like working with the media, and again, with my interest in the horse area and the fact that I write for the local newspaper, although I'm um, primarily the home section person, any time a horse story comes along, they pass it my way. And so that's why horse events in our, our area get covered, because I'm familiar with it. And so many other um, events, horse events will go uncovered because it's just hard to get a mainstream media person to come out to a horse event if they know nothing about it. So that's one of the things I talk about and address in the book is dealing with media, whether you're a horse farm, a tax shop, um, an event organization, um, you know, how to make the media comfortable to come out and get that exposure, that public relations that in times of, of, uh, that we're in right now, everybody wants to cut their advertising budget, which is one of the worst things any marketing person will tell you to do. You've got to keep yourself out there because, you know, there are still new people coming into the industry, and they're not going to know you're located down the street. If you don't have your farm sign out, um, you know, at the crossroads or what have you, um, they're not going to know you're there. So, um, Well, we're so talking about people who have to make a decision between buying good hay or bad hay or putting an ad out in the paper. How, how do you um, – I'm sure you talk about this in your book, but how do you get the point across to them that it it's – almost as important if not as important to get new business coming in your door as it is to make good buying decisions about the quality of food you're providing for your horses i mean exactly and there is a fine line between that but there's so many ways uh, you know especially with uh, what we you know publicity or public relations which actually is, is free it usually doesn't cost a dime um you know do a lot of these things but again you have to work with the media um have to be comfortable with that and as far as advertising um, you know, the regional tabs, um, and a tab, again, like a newspaper-type uh, publication for the horse industry, every state has them, every region has those, their advertising rates are, are fairly reasonable, and most of them do offer business-sized card ads that run every month. Um, I've seen them, you know, maybe $20 a month, 
And, uh, you know, you could even do some bartering. I mean, when times are tough, um, you know, people, that's, that's what people start to do. You could barter. You could trade. Possibly if you're standing a sixth stallion, maybe you contact the publication and offer a free breeding that when um, people renew their subscription, they would be entered into that drawing. And that publication then, um, you could work with them. Maybe they would give you a, a, a free year of business site card advertising and maybe one display ad. There's all sorts of um, things that people can do to get adverti- or to advertise and not break the bank doing it. Well, and I think, too, when times are tough, and we owned, my wife and I owned a boarding stable for a lot of years, and we went through some tough economic times, too. And I think what people have to do then is you really have to start thinking outside the box. You have exactly. to get creative. You, exactly. can't, you can't necessarily do things the way you've always been doing things and expect them to work. They don't work the same way in, in bad economic times because people are thinking differently. But a lot of these people, they're, they're running businesses and they know horses. They know horses very well. They know stables and stable management, but they don't know good business practices. And I think Lori has a good point is there are things like good customer service that can actually bring repeat business in your door. But a lot of these these business owners don't understand what good customer service is or how it can be valuable to their business. Well, and I can give you an example of that. It's one thing I talked about in the chapter in the book dealing with tax shops. Um, and again, it could be applied with a boarding stable training facility or what have you. And, and I think, you know, and, and again, with my writing that I do for the regular newspaper for the home section, um, you know, I try to be really good about not only calling our big box stores um, that service sources for the story, but also the small mom pop stores. And I think those stores have had to learn how to compete with the big box stores. So I talk about that when I apply it to the horse industry. Same thing. These big box stores, the reason why they're doing so well is their customer service, um, their return policies. I have a friend who got into the horse business like two years ago, and by mistake, she went in a tax shop, bought a pair of paddock-style um, boots instead of um, Western boots. She didn't know. Went back, and the place absolutely would not return them. She didn't even wear those. She told me, who in turn, I then ended up probably not going there because of that. So they gave her customer credit. Now, what was she going to spend that on? She didn't right. own a horse. She was taking lessons. And I think that, too... Customer service is important after you've got the customer contacting you. And I hope what we what we try and do today is give the business owners uh, some ideas. And as we go through the program today with the different people we're talking to, give the business owners some ideas of what they can do to get people in the door in the first place. And, well, and I think, I, Glenn, I, yep. Glenn and I, or you and I talked when you initially contacted me about some of the different things boarding stables can do. And you said, I like how you mentioned thinking outside of the box. Right. Um, we recently had a, a very nice boarding stable that we have in the area. They hosted Crooks Cox, who's one of the top um, horse trainer clinicians in the country, and ended up, even in our tough economy, the um, actual the participation with the horse and riders was actually filled with a waiting list, and I believe they pretty much sold out on um, spectator tickets. In addition, they ended up having a barbecue, a concert, and then also, um, and they contacted our local newspaper, which then contacted me to do a story. I already knew Chris Cox was coming, but they actually contacted me about doing a story. One of the boarders has a um, horse breed, uh, Nakota, which is a fairly rare horse breed. So they were on the ball enough to contact the local media to see if we would do a story on this breed of horse, which we did. They sent me out. I did do the story. And then we included a box um, in there about Chris Cox coming to barbecue the concert and so forth. And I think what made a difference there is is 
people have farms have done clinics forever. What they made it, how they made it different, was adding the barbecue and the concert. Exactly. And you used exactly. a phrase: they were on the ball enough to do XYZ. How do we get the rest of these small farm owners and these small business owners on the ball? How do we get them up to that level? Well, they obviously they could go out and buy your book. <laughs> That's they one way. To open up, they could the listen doors. to our show. They right. need to open the doors to the non-horse community because that's where the new people are going to come from. And uh, you know, let's face it, we all that are in the business need every horse owner, every business um, that we can possibly keep and retain and attract new because if the industry, continu- you know, the economy continues to go south and we lose some of these businesses, we're all going to be affected by it. Well, and I think, and I, I think there's somebody that, that – that, let's get Megan on here because she owns a farm here in Lexington, Kentucky, is a very successful farm owner. Uh, the farm is called Team CEO, and it's a successful eventing facility down here. She has two locations, actually. Uh, and, and Megan, actually, her name her maiden name was Megan Moore, and she's she was fourth in the 2005 USEA Gold Cup Advanced Level Standing. So she's a high-level rider, but she also has done very well at – at creating a successful barn and a community at her facility. And let's get her on to talk about what she does specifically. And it ties right along with what we were just talking about. Hi, Megan. I didn't say your name in your introduction because uh, is it Lanzarone? Yes, it's Megan Lanzarone. Okay, your your maiden name was easier. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, we, we've been talking a little bit here about how farms, what farms can do in downtimes to keep new customers coming in, what they can do to keep the income there to survive the downtime so they're around when things get good again. Tell us a little bit about your farm and what you do and what you have to do to make it work. Absolutely. Um, we specialize in, well, we, we kind of diversify our market and we, we provide sales services for eventing, and um, we also provide training and boarding. Um, and so by doing so, we kind of diversify in three different markets. Um, and we, we tend to make things work by, as far as selling horses, um, we try to make sure that we sell horses to the adult amateur, to the everyday rider, as well as um, sell horses on the international market. Like we recently sold a horse to the Belgian Olympic team. Um, so that we're selling horses here as well as abroad um, and on the West Coast and the East Coast to try to cover the broadest range of clientele um, so that you're not over-centralized to one client um, who might be struggling in today's market. Well, and that's true of any business. Uh, If if 75% of your business is coming from Walmart and then Walmart dumps you, you're in trouble. Absolutely. Uh, Now, what do you do? We talked a little bit about this yesterday. We owned a boarding stable for a lot of years. You cannot, you cannot make money boarding horses anymore. You have to do the extras. Would you say that's a fair statement? Absolutely. And and so the extras that you do, you all, you also do boarding, right? Yes. Okay. So that maybe helps cover some of the bills, although with hay prices being what they are, maybe not. So what do you do <laughs> extra to really help uh, pay the bills and actually make a little money? Um, we find that, that our boarders are mostly students as well, so the boarders are also participating in our lesson program, um, so it's more of a service to them that, to have boarders rather than an income-producing activity. Um, so it's it's nice to have that service, and, and we teach lessons um, five days a week, and then we compete on the weekends. And then we also train um, 
event horses and, and bring them along and develop them. And um, then we offer um, horses for sale so that we try to increase income in four different categories, and, and hopefully that together can pay the bills. Um, do you also host events as well, horse shows and so forth? Do you rely yeah, on absolutely, we do. Okay. We um, okay. we host um, a couple of different schooling shows throughout the year um, to help bring people into the sport and, and to help um, pay for the cross-country course that we have on the farm. And then one of the things that I talk about in marketing and promoting your horse business and with the different stables that I've seen that have been successful and what I talk about with it, fortunately now we're seeing gas prices drop a little bit. It's for boarding and training facilities to, to offer some of the things that horse owners, if they're boarding there, commonly need, like maybe warmer, if you're not providing the warming services, um, treats, um, fly spray, so forth. So, you know, I'm not saying, you know, put in a full-fledged tax shop, but some of these um, basic supplemental things that, you know, you could make a little money on and also help your boarders and your um, riders and so forth not have to drive 20, 25 miles to the nearest tax shop to buy these things. So, um uh, Megan, I don't know if you offer any of those. don't necessarily offer some of the tax for items, but I think that that's a brilliant idea. Um, and we definitely offer a lot of the, the service items, like, like the warmer and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. so that um, especially for our, our busy um, customers who, who have day jobs and, and yes. life is so busy for all of us these days so that we can kind of simplify the it right yeah. there. That is the number one with customer services that, you know, more and more people have, t- have two uh, people that work in the household, and it is about convenience and making your business more of a one-stop um, operation. Uh, for horse owners. Absolutely. And Megan, if you had to, um, you, you're wonderfully diversified now, so you're covering um, your, your bases, but if you had to downsize, for example, because things got really tight and you couldn't afford to operate among the, the different markets that you reach now, what's your healthiest profit center? Is it training? Is it lessons? What couldn't you let go because your margins are so great there? Um, In terms of what you were we're most strongly based in the sales of event horses. We bring them along from the very beginning and and sell them um, anywhere from lower level horses to international competitors. So that that's really the strongest part of our um, our business okay. and our income. What are you Which is kind of interesting, considering that you know the the sale price of horses in this particular um, economic market has really fallen off. Are you saying that uh, sales has remained healthy enough to be a good profit center for you? really fortunate um actually I, i've sold um three horses in the last week and a half actually <laughs> um <laughs> wow we've been really we've been really fortunate with that um and and just like you said about the diversification we diversify within our sales market so that we have a lot of um adult amateur type horses but then also we we have a lot of international um horses and so we've sold some horses to europe um just recently um i sold um two upper level horses to the west coast um, so that when you're diversifying and being able to bring those people in um, from outside your own community market, um, it tends to be able to catch the eye of people in places where the market is doing better than in, in your own. Um, and it's really fortunate to be here in Lexington with the horse community because it's so much easier to get people to fly into kind of the horse capital of the world here and, and see horses. Now, are you? And what you've done is widen your customer base, which is which is just so smart to do. Exactly. During this economic downturn. 
So what have you found to be the issues right now? What have you seen as far as the economic downturn? How has it affected your business? I think that, uh, well, first of all, so many um, of the expenses are rising while the profits aren't. Um, And just like you touched on earlier, the, the hay prices and the grain prices um, are really killing any kind of margin of of profit in the boarding. Um, but as far as um, sales horses, the the lower end horses, say store horses that are under ten thousand um, dollars, that the most people would be able to buy are the horses that are most difficult to sell right now because that those dollars are are very near and dear to our hearts and. And those dollars are are very um, tightly held, whereas horses say that are selling for fifty or sixty thousand um, dollars are still selling pretty strongly in this market. So it's just like the housing market, basically. The low end, under one hundred fifty thousand, are selling. Over a million are selling. It's that middle that's not. Yeah, that's a brilliant analogy. Okay, and you said that you're actually heading up to Lori's neck of the woods. Aren't you going to Michigan to look at some this coming up? Absolutely. And tell me what you um, told me yesterday about those horses. Yeah, I'm trying to, to head up um, to Michigan um, and pick up a few horses there because the, um, the, the horses in the price range that I would be buying horses, the, the more inexpensive horses, um, tend to um, be flooding the market right now, um, especially in places that are, that are impacted by the economic downturn, like, for example, um, if the auto markets start becoming weaker um, in places like Michigan that, that rely so heavily on that, um, we, we're seeing a lot of um, lower-end horses flooding the market right now in those places. Isn't that interesting, Lori, that you said that to us earlier in this show, and now we have <laughs> somebody that's coming up there to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah and I actually <laughs> have two colts that my cousin bred that she couldn't sell. That's why I have... I probably at this age would have never uh, would never have a two year old and a yearling out my pasture <laughs> right you... now and, and starting over, but she couldn't sell them, so I have them. So, um, so is what's happening now, Megan? Is it the prices that were five thousand dollars on a on a horse before are they a thousand now? Is that what's happening? Just to get rid of them? Absolutely, and people just have to get rid of them. And and a lot of those people are the people that are involved in the the housing crisis and that sort of thing. And I've had people tell me when they're selling horses, you know, I I may lose my house or I may lose my farm. I have to sell the horse before I lose the farm. Well, and then I just took in a nine-year-old mare that came up from a friend that moved from Michigan to Tennessee, and she can't find hay down there. So, yeah, we're I'm kind of the refuge <laughs> for the non-sale or the horses that have no food. <laughs> Megan, if you could say one thing to horse owners that have a smaller operation than yours – you know, they have boarding, they do some lessons, they take kids to shows. You know, you know the operations are talking about. There's, there, 90% of the market out there in boarding is that right now. What, what would you tell them? How, what, would, what advice would you give them? Um, well, I think that any of us, and, and certainly um, the other two ladies are more of a, a more business experts than I am, but I think any of us are always seeking to um, raise our profits and lower our costs. Um, and just to do, you know, like right now, we're kind of restructuring our business to try to eliminate some of the, the frugal costs that we don't necessarily, you know, we were trying to eliminate some of the, the costs that we don't necessarily need um, and you cut down on excess spending. What, what would be a couple examples of, of costs that you don't need that may apply to other, um, you know, horse businesses? 
Absolutely. We're we're sticking a little closer to home with the horse shows, um, okay. saving a little bit on the mileage on the truck and trailer and a little bit on gas. Um, and we're showing the horses less and training them at home more so that they get more training but maybe less mileage. Okay. Which isn't such a bad thing, I, I, in my opinion. Absolutely. But doing a little <laughs> homework. Well, actually, That's right. That helps and, and you know what? But homework is a good word. It's a good phrase because not only your your riding homework but your um, business homework. Do your research. Do your market research. Like uh, Lori says, know your know your local market. Know who you have. Your borders are, yeah. and, and it, yeah, it's like an installed customer base. You have this you know captive audience in your borders. Find out what they need. Is it convenience items? Is it um, do they need to save time? So do your homework. Find out what your market needs, and then go back to the drawing board and figure out ways to deliver that at a low cost. Exactly. You know what, Megan? I would like to compliment Megan on her website um, because I did a little researching on there, and um, uh, I I was really pleased to see that, and again, from a business standpoint, that she has done some crucial things when uh, farms and so forth put up websites in maintaining her blog and also her calendar of events. I mean, there's nothing worse than going on a website and there's outdated information on the calendar of events isn't current, and I was really pleased to see you have your calendar of events all the way out to May of '09. Um, so that was nice to see to give people a heads up on some of the events that you're going to be doing. Thank you, and I, and I think those websites are really easy for for any boarding barn to do because there are there are sites, and even if you can't do them yourself, I bet you have a teenager somewhere in your barn who um, is right. much better at, at the internet than <laughs> any of us. For a college um, student, if you're in your university ab- town, you can contact one of the um, instructors and see if they can have a student uh, build your website. Absolutely. Cost and there are a lot of places that will do free websites for those. And you can change writing lessons if they, if they feel they need to be paid for it. So anyway, again, like I said, exchanging services. All right, Megan, we appreciate you being on. I think one of the things you just said right there is all important. And for us, for us geeks out here like Helene and I, what you're really talking about is community. And the one thing I've heard about your barn over there, Megan, and by the way, that is Team C. The barn's name is Team CEO. And I believe the website is is what? Is it Team? It's www.team. CEOeventing.com. Okay, Team C- CEOeventing.com. I think one of the things I've heard locally here is that you do have a community. You have built a community. And once you do that at a farm like that, that's the most important thing you can do. And I, Yeah, that's, I, that's your customer base. Your community becomes your customer base. Or the other way around. And by doing your blog and keeping your your website up to date, all your what you're doing is servicing your community, uh, your, yeah. your local farm, your, all the people that are involved in your barn. So congratulations on that, and we appreciate you being on. We'll talk again, okay? Great. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Megan. Good luck this uh, Good luck this winter. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate Megan joining us, and we're going to go right now. We have a, another guest that we're excited to have on. It's Todd Branson, who uh, was originally from Indiana, showed quarter horses with his family, and uh, he's been riding since he was uh, practically an infant. I think they threw him up there in his diapers. Uh, and he's really involved in the Western side of things. He is the senior manager of marketing for the AQHA down in Texas, right? That's correct. Yep. And um, he's going to talk to – and I want to talk to you a little bit about, Todd, is first of all, Quarter Horse Congress just ended. So we're talking about the economy today and how the economy affects the horse industry. What did you see as far as Quarter Horse Congress was concerned? 
You know, as far as the Congress is, uh, is directly concerned, we won't have official numbers for another week or so once we get the official results in back from Ohio. But from the, um, the word back in Ohio is that the show really wasn't affected that much. Uh, people were still shopping in the trade show, and as far as the entries were concerned by class, they seemed pretty comparable to last year. Well, good. That's a good thing then. <clears throat> have you gotten any word from your members how the economy might be affecting them? Well, I think you're going to notice um, people being affected in different ways from different parts of the country. A, a prime example is here in Amarillo, Texas, the housing industry hasn't faltered as much as you may notice on either side of the coast. So mm-hmm. that affects people as well, uh, people who maybe purchase hay or feed or the, the type of home they have for horses or the type of horse that they can purchase themselves. And as far as people are concerned, when they have horses, is they're going to make their own adjustments necessary to continue doing the things that they love. Um, one thing that we haven't really noticed much on our end is, um, is, a, is a default in, in show exhibitors. One thing that we have seen that we're very excited about is our novice amateur and novice youth entries have actually increased this year as compared to last year, which is really exciting for us because we're, I think we're starting to do um, things that people are really wanting and looking for, and that's finding horse shows closer to home. And we've really started some new initiatives that I'm happy to, to go deeper into if you'd like me to about uh, what we're trying to do to help make shows more accessible to people. And they can still show with, them, with AQHA and uh, do the things that they love. So you think this increase in participation is partly due to the fact that you're um, reaching out and you've got these programs that are trying to bring more people into the the program? I think that has um, a, a direct effect to it. Um, we're becoming, you know, more and more popular, and AQHA has grown every year. Um, as a matter of fact, at the beginning of this year, we registered our five millionth horse. So people are still wow. um, breeding <laughs> and still doing. I know it's a lot of horses. How many people members are, do you have? <clears throat> We have just under 350,000. I think wow. the latest number I saw was 347,000 members. And, um, of course, that's only, I think, a percentage of that, 10 to 20% of that actually shows. So a majority of our members still uh, are backyard horse owners. Rec- yeah. They're still, yeah, they still own on a recreational basis, and we haven't really noticed um, the recreational riding going down. And you're always going to have this, this cyclical type of member where you have people that get really involved. And if you look at my bio, once I went to uh, Purdue University, I stopped showing. You're always going to have that. You're always going to have families that come in and show and leave and show. But as far as the number of new people that come in, we're still getting new people. We've actually started a new program. It's called Show Up. And uh, basically, we're rewarding people as novice to come show with AQHA. And um, we have it broken down for people who go to their first show. We have milestones for their fifth show, 10th, 15th, and 25th show. And um, so far this year, we've had 2,600 new people who've never shown AQHA come to a show. And those numbers are through August. And what about the regional experiences and the different trail rides and stuff? These have seemed to become very popular in the last couple of years. How has that helped to keep the numbers uh, solid for, for your breed industry? The regional experience has been extremely popular and successful, and it's, it is one of the most exciting events that I think we have. It, it takes the horse show down a notch or two, and I don't mean the horse for the competition. I mean the speed. Um, we get to the show, and it's a slower pace. It's more time. There's more help. There's more clinics. 
and um, it's a single show offered over a four or five day period. So you don't have horse shows going in until midnight. You don't have exhibitors staying up all night trying to get their horses ready. And um, and you bring an opportunity for a, a newer or a novice exhibitor to come experience AQHA at a championship level, which hopefully will fuel their interest to go on to the split combined, the double judge, and the, the larger scale shows leading up to the Congress. And, so it's uh, kind of a way for them to get their toes a little bit wet, um, <clears throat> right, to, to, to get a little it, taste of it. It is. It really is. And, uh, and, those and it sounds they, more user-friendly, too. It is very user-friendly, very user-friendly, and they've grown every year. Last year they grew 15%, and we just ended this year, so I don't have numbers yet for this year, but I do know that they're bigger than last year. With 300, with, with 350,000 members, do, it, does that make you the largest association? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Do you have any advice for small breeders? My my cousin, we, we have quarter horses, and I have two of her colts that she didn't sell. And we're here in Michigan, which obviously has been hit hard with economic times. Mm-hmm. And the quarter horses that we've seen go through the sales here, the prices have been very low. Um, is there any advice you could give to small um, breeders right now to continue to breed and, and maybe at least just hold their own right now and you know ride out the economic slump? You know, I think some of the best advice that we can give is advice that's already out there. Um, you know, it's, it's whether you're buying a car, a house, or food, you know, now is the time to be responsible with your money. And we're not financial advisors, and, and I cannot give professional advice on how to spend your money. But we do have some documents available online right now. Uh, one of them is a, it's a budget guide um, to hmm. showing, and it, it takes accounts from other people, from other exhibitors, and um, we basically interviewed the country and said, what do you do to save money? And um, they, we've got quotes from them saying, you know, they may share their trailer whenever they go to a show. So you've got two or three families in one horse so trailer. Like horse pooling. And horse pooling, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, different ways to utilize um, your, your finances towards finding um, lesser expensive hay and, and different things. And it's um, the brochure is called Accounting for the Arena. And is this on the website, on the AQHA yes. website? Okay. Yes, it is. Great. If you go to aqha.com slash showing, it's um, on the main image up there. There's a, a link that's called Guide to Showing, and that was going to be another thing that I was going to introduce about um, helping this, this, the, the smaller breeder get into showing again. Um, but in the Guide to Showing, there's a the brochure that's called Accounting for the Arena, and we've basically broken down you know, accounting for your home, accounting for the travel, and accounting for the show, and ways that you can uh, find, you know, lesser, you know, how to cut your costs at a horse show, how to cut your costs at home, how to cut your costs, and it's advice from other people, just like um, the small breeder owner, or just like you, that are kind of helping each other uh, save money while doing what they love, and in conjunction with accounting for the arena, we also have an Excel spreadsheet where you can download it and figure the cost for a weekend show. Uh, you know, you're always going to have, um, you know, your, your class fees and your uh, whether you have jump out fees. It's or, all those other things you forget about that the show ends up costing you ten times more than you thought it would. Right, and the <laughs> idea be- and the idea behind the Excel spreadsheet is to plan ahead for your show, see what the costs are going to be, put them in the Excel sheet, and before you leave home, you have a good idea of what it's going to cost. And I don't think that there's anything out of line with the cost of showing, because whether you own a classic Corvette, a horse, or a cow, you do have costs associated with your hobby and, and with your profession. And I think these follow down the same lines. So the, the actually, this could be of, applied to English showing as well as Western, I would think. 
I think so. Yeah. And AQHA isn't just Western showing. You know, right. We do have a, a complete a la carte list of English classes as well. What do you see happening here over the next year? If, if the economy stays slower, what effects do you see to the association and to the members? I don't necessarily see any direct effects. I mean, I think you... Prices down? Do what? Prices will be down. I think they were down a little bit at the auction we were at at Congress, it appeared. Well, you mean like like horse sale? Yes, horse sale prices, yep. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you're you're always going to have, you know, a beginner type horse, and then you're always going to have... The, the a trail riding type of horse or a recreational horse, and then you're going to always have the upper echelon, like you're talking about the 2010. I think you're talking about the FEI finals, aren't you? Yeah. Um, that that type of horse. You always have different types of horses, and it. I, I own a classic convertible uh, Beetle at home, and it doesn't cost as much as somebody who owns a, a classic Corvette. So I mean, it's <laughs> you know, I think you've got to put those into per- perspective too. People right. are going to continue to, to purchase. And do what they love, and get what they want out of the, out of their passion or their hobby. And um, some people may make different decisions on on what they want to do and how they want to do it. But I think you're going to still see people want to to aspire to that that next show horse or that next recreational horse or that next race horse. And then I think what your message is just try and do it responsibly. Yes. Yeah, and I, you know, I see we. I worked at shows uh, at, on the vendor side, and you see these these people come in with twenty five different credit cards, and I think those days are going to start. Those days are ending now, I think, um, and or catching up to them now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that res- I think that's the best message that that we've gotten here today is is just be more responsible than you've ever been in the past. Try and think ahead and try and plan a little more than you may. These same people may not have had to download that spreadsheet and plan about the cost because they were never worried about it before. Right. Right. And, well, and, and, the, and disposable things. You're, but you're talking about a different demographic there. I mean, the people that we see at Congress and that are definitely not the people that, um, you know, again, we're seeing here in Michigan, it's the smaller shows that affected the state mm-hmm. core horse shows were still pretty solid. Uh, right. The Tom Power show um, that, that ran here was still pretty solid as well as Congress. So right. you're probably well, talking about a little different demographic. Not necessarily. Let me give you an example. We've launched a new program, and you may be aware of it. Um, we have released some of the show approval to open and 4-H shows now, giving people more opportunity and more accessibility to earning AQHA points. So, for example, up in Michigan, if you have an open show that has been going on for the past 100 years, they now have the ability to apply to get AQHA class approval within that show allowing people to still come show AQHA, but not necessarily need to, to drive um, you know, all the way to Lansing to go yeah. to a horse show. They can go to their, their local show and still earn points and novice. And we're trying to well, keep it around the core classes. Some of our yeah, open shows, because some, we have a Western breed circuit here that's probably down to two or three horses a class, which has mm-hmm. been 40 horses before. So it's sad to see that. So, yeah, sure. this would be an interesting concept. Sure. So, I mean, and, but this and, may be a good opportunity for the smaller local shows to shine again, where they they once were the mainstay of a region. Uh, right. You know, people can come back to um, more schooling shows, and as Megan said, training at home and focusing on um, their hobbies on a smaller scale. And I think those kinds of details can help um, with the accessibility. You don't have to give up your hobby, but maybe you just have to scale it down and um, and attend more 
local shows or even something like, um, uh, you know, I don't need to get a new saddle. Maybe I'll just get the one I have fixed. Or right. if I'm going out to buy a horse instead of buying a $20,000 made horse, maybe I'll go out and spend $3,000 on something and work a little extra to create the value in this horse. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that you it you 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 doesn't matter what demographic you're working with, it's more scale. Right. You know, if we scale it down, we can make it work. I got it. AQHA recognizes that within a a liquid environment that we currently live in, we need to change to keep up with the trends. We need to change to keep up with the times. And that's why we're offering, you know, more of a of a just a, a brick and mortar overview of what to think about whenever you you want to save money and still show your horse, like with the brochure, and um, and how to get shows more accessible to home by allowing people to approve AQHA classes at open shows, and also to bring new people into the show world by. Um, entering them into our show-up program where they can earn prizes, caps and jackets and, and barn plaques and, um, and uh, saddle pads. I mean, there's different programs that we're trying to put in place to help people still enjoy their hobby and what they're doing and feel like that, that they can get you know, their own experience out of it and make that experience a positive one. Well, and certainly your numbers show that you guys definitely, and I have to say as somebody that is in the media, um, your publication, <clears throat> both Quarter Horse Journal, is just, is, and I belong to American Horse Publication, it is phenomenal. I mean, you guys <laughs> have done such a good job with having editorial in there in addition to advertisements. Um, and it's nice to see you guys have ads on, you know, we have some of the different events on our, our network stations like the Raining and Cutting mm-hmm. and so forth, and we see American Quarter Horse ad on there. So you guys have done a really good job. Uh, to keep your presence out there, and that would definitely equate to why your numbers are still solid. Well, we appreciate the compliment. We we work really hard to to provide quality material and editorial in our magazines, and and uh, you know, of course, we're proud of our magazines, but we're also proud of the content that we have and the, the educational tools that we make available to our members, like with the fundamentals of horsemanship and junior master horsemen, and some of those things. We work really hard at, at further developing the horse and owner and horse and rider relationship because that's really what it's about at the end of the day. It's about the horse and the owner and the experience they get with that horse, and that's what we work really hard to do with the American Quarter Horse. Well, Todd, we certainly appreciate you being on today in such short notice, and uh, we'll be in touch and we'll talk again, I'm sure, as, as we go, go through other topics uh, over the next year. Sure, I do appreciate it. All right, thanks, Todd. All right, thank you. Well, it was certainly nice of uh, Todd to be with us. Uh, you know, sometimes Helene and I being more English prone to, to life because we've been riding English and, and I've been driving, that we tend to we tend to forget about our Western friends and we're, we're going to do a better job of not forgetting about them in the future. So we're glad Todd could join us. Right now on the phone, we have Ingrid Andrews, who is an equine business consultant who has been helping horse business owners with operating and marketing their businesses for over 15 years. She gives seminars. Uh, she actually has taught college courses on legal issues. She was an attorney in the in the past, um, and she's also the owner of a breeding farm. So she she could speak well to to this subject because she what she practices what she preaches. So hi Ingrid, how are you? Hi. I'm well. I hope you're doing well too. Good. Now we we at the beginning of the show we we're trying to figure out how to say your website name. How do you say it? I say it Equinovation. Oh, that sounds <laughs> better than what we did, Helena. 
Yeah, so the short E sound, equinovation. I like it. Equinovation. All right, that's good. And it's at equinovation.com, and we'll put all the links from today's show, the the link for the the AQHA uh, sheets that Todd was talking about. We'll put those in our show notes, so you'll find everything to everybody's websites in our show notes today. Ingrid, tell us, you work with horse businesses all the time. Is it more important that they have a business plan and a and a, a plan of some kind in downtimes? Is it more important in downtimes than it is in uptimes? I know it's important all the time. But well, t- absolutely, it's it's important all the time, uh, and part of that is because the um, equine businesses are usually running on a tighter margin than a lot of other small businesses are. And when we talk about the importance of business plans and marketing plans, you know, we're looking a lot to statistics and the fact that, according to the Small Business Administration, 90% of small businesses fail within the first two years of operation. And I would say that that statistic is accurate or maybe even a little bit too optimistic when we're talking about equine businesses. And again, that's because most of them are running on a thin margin. What I mean by that is, pardon? No, continue. I just had it. Oh, sorry. What I mean by that is um, when we talk about margin, we're talking about the revenue that's coming in. Uh, less the expenses that are that it takes to run the business, which are the direct costs of operating the business and delivering the products that are bringing in the money. And horse businesses tend to be a little bit tighter in that regard. Your expenses are pretty high. Your profitability can be fairly low um, relative to other businesses. So when we get into a situation where the economy is down, um, expenses tend to increase for a variety of reasons, and that means your margin gets tighter, which makes it even more difficult for horse businesses to stay profitable. So it's at these times when the economy is down that we really do need to have more uh, planning going on and greater attention to sticking to a plan, um, which is, as you said, important all the time. And what is the number one uh, reason you have found that horse businesses fail? Well, I would have to say that it's, again, dealing with those narrow margins because most people who are involved in the horse business are passionate about horses. A lot of times... And uh, not passionate about business. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's true. That's a general truth. I know it's a general statement, but it's true. And I'm one of them, you know? Sure, sure, because but we, we have love to what think we're like doing. regular business owners. That's what Absolutely. the point is. Yes. And because the margins are so narrow, again, you know, it's easy to forgive problems when you love what you're doing and you love the animals and, and you see that your business is, you know, maybe not doing as well as you would hope. Um, a lot maybe of they don't address it as soon as possible as if you were a mainstream right. business, right? Okay, that's a very good point. Okay. Right. It's easier to let things slide than if you were just going to, to an office and punching a clock and not really enjoying what it is that you're doing. So it, horse people really need to pay close attention to the business aspect of their business. And horse people have to wear many hats when they're running a business. And it's not like, um, you know, we're making such a great living at this that we can hire the right people for the right job. 
a small farm owner would have a very difficult time having somebody whose focus was just um, going out and getting new business. So these people have to be marketers. They have to be chief operating officer, CEO, horse trainer, instructor. And, and that's a lot of information to have as well as a lot of jobs to hold. So you know, what, what do you do? What advice do you have to somebody who it's just it's too much for one person or in a lot of cases, one couple? How do you spread all the, the projects around effectively? Well, that's, very, that's very true. And there's some things that we have to recognize that we're good at and other things that we're not so good at. If you absolutely are not good at something, you do need to get outside help and somehow work that into your budgeting. Um, because if you need a tool to help you operate your business, you have to regard that as a necessary expense, just like paying your utility bills. Um, and, and if you get to a point where you can't work those kinds of necessary expenses into the business, you need to rethink the business. But a lot of times when we have one-person shows or we have a couple or maybe just a, a partnership, trying to operate a business, it can be overwhelming because there's so many hats to wear. And what I think that is, is the, one of the greatest tools for people to have is actually to put down in writing what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And this would be part of a business of, plan. Well, sort of. I mean, when we talk about a business plan, there's a lot of different kinds of plans. There's a lot of levels of formality. Um, if you're a business that's had to go out and get investors or had to apply for a business loan or something of that nature, you may already have a formal business plan. But very often, that kind of a plan is not the greatest tool for you to use in the day-to-day -day operation of your business. Well, there is what a difference, too, between a, a business plan and a marketing plan. Well, and that's true, too, and there's differences between the kinds of marketing plans because you can look at a long-term plan you can look in the short term, or you can look at what we're dealing with in this economy in this kind of situation is almost more of an emergency plan. The survival plan. Um, right. and how should horse businesses be looking? Which, which uh, length of plan should they be looking at right now? I mean, I think when we just mentioned business plan, especially if you're not a non-business person, like you said, we're all passionate about horses, and that's why we're in this business. You mentioned that, and it's just like, ooh, uh, you know, it's hard enough to get people who are in the business world to do a business plan, let alone a horse person <laughs> who owns a business. That's, that is so true. <laughs> well, absolutely. And we don't want to plan ourselves into a circle either. I mean, you, there's such a thing as paralysis by analysis. And if you, you get too involved in the planning, then maybe you lose some focus on the doing. But ultimately, you, you most businesses will have a, a formal business plan, or they should have, a, let me say, a formal business plan. That's the kind of thing you take to your bank. And then you should have a marketing plan that uh, gives you over more of a, of a midterm or a long-term view of the kinds of things that you can do to promote your business. And when I talk about marketing, I'm not just talking about what some what, what people will often think of as marketing. A lot of people equate marketing with sales or with advertising, and it's really more than that. It's really everything that you do to interact with your customer base. Exactly, everything it's from your business cards to your, um, like I said, uh, public relations and promoting any type of event. Exactly. 
And public no, relations are. can be a scary word for people. You know, public relations can be something as simple as having an open house at your barn, yeah. and, you know, smiling when you shake someone's hand. And I, that's that's another big thing, I think, is simplifying these marketing terms. It's It's not – as uh, far out there or out of reach as a lot of these business owners might think. Where do horse businesses educate themselves, um, Ingrid? Is there, I mean, can they go to the Chamber of Commerce or their uh, their local Chamber of Commerce to get some help, or where would they go? Maybe a, a college, maybe there's some business students that maybe could help um, them do a business plan, and maybe it won't even cost them anything to utilize that. Well, there's some... Um there are some resources that are available to all small businesses as well as to equine business owners. A lot of times you're going to have a harder time finding people with the expertise for equine businesses. I mean, you run into that even when you're looking for tax help because if you don't have um, an accountant or a tax professional that's versed in special rules that apply to horse businesses, then you can wind up not making out as well as, as you should have. Um, so you have to be a little bit choosy about where you go. There's not really uh, a one-step place to go to get educated in in the horse business world. But there are resources, including uh, going to colleges. Um, a lot of them will have an adult community education program, and you'll have some business classes there, as well as very occasionally you'll find some classes that are focusing on the horse industry or on agribusness. Um, another thing is the is SCORE, which is the... Yeah, I was going to mention hope, that, actually, yeah. Right. I hope I don't mess up the acronym. I think it's... Uh, it's, 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 it's actually at... I'm at their website now. It's, it's SCORE, S-C-O-R-E dot org. And they actually have, uh, I have to plug this because it's what we do, they have a, a okay. good series of podcasts on small business success. Um, radio, online radio shows just like just like ours is. So I recommend those too, and you can find those right on the homepage at SCORE. But they also have a ton of information and business tools on their website. Now, Ingrid, yeah. you mentioned that uh, businesses, and we're, again, we're talking about horse businesses, don't box themselves into a circle. Would that be meaning that they need to stay flexible? I mean, if something changes in their in their business plan and it doesn't work out, um, that they just don't continue with that regardless if it's not working out because it's part of the plan? Well, absolutely, and that's that's one of the biggest things when you're talking about um, an action plan versus your formal business plan or whatever. You, you need something that you're going to work with every day, and that plan needs to stay dynamic. You can't just be stagnant in what you're, what you're, uh, not the methods that you're practicing and the tools that you're implementing. Um, one of the advantages to having things in writing is that you can, as you think of new things, go back to your written plan, look at what you've got, and really make some comparisons and some analyses of what's working and what isn't. And don't be afraid to use the use your eraser <laughs> or scratch out some things and add some new ideas. In fact, what I think... Pencil. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of, sort of, yeah. There's we're in the, not a we're lot of commitment there. Age, so. <laughs> I love pencil. Yeah. All right, guys, I'll tell you what, Ingrid. We're going to have to wrap it up because we're running it. We're flat running out of time. Ingrid, say again, can you spell for everybody your website? Sure. The website name is Equinovation. It's E-Q-U-I-N-N-O-V-A-T-I-O-N.com. And uh, there's 
get some good stuff on the site, and uh, there's also a sign-up for an e-newsletter that I have, the Equine Business Edge, and uh, some useful tidbits to get there. Uh, And they can also contact you if they need help, too, right? Yes, absolutely. I can be contacted through the website. There's there's several uh, options listed there. Okay, great. Well, Ingrid, we appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All righty. Thank you, Glenn. All right. What a, what a lineup. This is the most guests we've ever had on in one show, and the technology didn't fail us, which is the amazing thing today. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we learned a lot, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we do, where can they get your book, Lori? Um, actually, it's available through iUniverse. Um, either it can be ordered right online, and there is an ebook version that is available as well. Um, Amazon.com also carries it, uh, Target.com, and there are just a host of other um, online uh, websites um, that are carrying it, as well as any local tax shop um, should be able to order it. And it's, and it's called, called Horsing Around the USA Guide to Marketing and Promoting Your Horse Business. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's twelve ninety five, which I think is it's a great deal. Twelve ninety five. Yes, I worked with the publisher to get the price down. They wanted it to be a little bit higher, and I told them that I uh, felt that I wanted everybody to get a chance to get this book, and the e-version uh, is actually $6. Wow. Well, you do know your market. <laughs> and what's your website? <laughs> Then too. Um, actually, uh, I, I currently am redoing my website, uh, but people can actually email me at onehorsepress at AOL.com if they have any questions or if they have any problems with any type of marketing thing. I would surely be glad um, to help anybody with anything. Okay, good. So what do we take out of today? Lori, what do you take out of today, what we learned today? Well, I, I think the key is, um, you know, being diverse, being positive. Uh, because there are some good things that are happening. I mean, one of the neatest things I think that has happened is that people are starting to look locally, um, not only in, in their everyday lives where they shop, where they do business, but also in the horse industry. So it's a good time for stables, boarding facilities, breeders, instructors, um, and tax shops to uh, really uh, tap into the local business. But people need to know about you, so that's where the marketing comes in. That's and and that tends, that also in. tends to happen in general during the Depression. People, exactly. towns had to stick together more. It actually brings more local communities together rather than just on a national scale. And I think Megan hit on that, too, about the community in her barn and that it's not just about somebody coming for a lesson, but it's building that whole base, the showing, um, the buying and selling of horses, the giving lessons, um, and the hosting of events. Helena, what do you take out of today? Uh, I take out of today that um, we can, as business owners, uh, do our homework, that there are a lot of very cost-effective ways that we can open the door to new business. Um, We've called it creative thinking. We've called it thinking outside of the box, research. Um, I call it doing your homework. It's free, um, you know. Go log on to the internet, find different ways and different ideas on how you can uh, scale down your costs and still um, help bring new business in the door. It's, it is so totally possible. It, it just requires a little extra thought. I'll tell you what, what I found, too, in these downtimes, and I've been in, 
in the horse world for a lot of years through up and down times is you tend exactly what Megan was doing. She was cutting costs, cutting out things she really didn't need. And what she's going to find is that when the economy starts to turn around, she's not going to add those things back in and she's going to be more profitable at that point. So that it's a time to weed out the garbage. I mean, and I mean, all of us have the garbage in our life that we can afford to weed out and you think you're going to miss it and you find out you don't. Um, and I think that that's, I think in a way, the down economic times actually help you be a better business person. You know, they may seem hard when you're going through them, but after the, when the upturn comes, you're going to be a better business per- person because you lived through the downtime. And I, I don't mean to lecture here. That's not my point. I'm just saying that the, the downtime is the time to learn and to plan and to get through it. Because then when the uptime comes back, when that pendulum starts to swing, and it always does, you're going to be ready when others aren't. Mm-hmm. My lecture's done. <laughs> well, it was a good lecture. Well, thank you, Laura. Hey, you know, this has been great, Helena. We should have co-hosts on every show. We don't have to do any work. Oh, I know. I'm just sitting back enjoying the conversation. I, I know. Yes, this is great. You know, when we don't have co-hosts, we have to think and we have to talk and we have to fill all the time. This is just so much better. Lori, will you come back and join us again? Anytime. Anytime. We can talk about all sorts of other things. All right. Great. Hey, everybody, don't forget that uh, next week we will be back. And next week's show is another fun show for us. It's about equine photography. We have some of the leading photographers in the country, equine photographers. Uh, We we have the one of the photographers actually has done all the Olympics for the last five. And she's been an equine photographer at the Olympics. So we're going to learn a lot about photography about how to take a good picture of a horse. Always take pictures of horses. We're going to learn how to take a good picture of a horse. Plus, uh, we'll have some recommendations on what cameras you can buy people for Christmas, what's a good camera, inexpensive or medium-priced camera for for taking horse shots. So don't don't miss next week's show. And how to position your horse for the best possible pictures. Right. America's Next Top Horse Model. Ooh, new show idea, Glenn. <laughs> new show. Maybe we'll run a little uh, picture contest after that show, too. We'll see who, who actually listens and applies it. All right, the show We could give away a gift. There we go. Well, we should do that next week. Okay. Um, so tune in next week's show all about photography. You can find our show notes at stablescoop.com. And also, you can send us an email at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com. Or send us a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Thanks again, Lori. And again, the name of Lori's book is really long horsing around the U.S. Guide to Marketing and Promoting Your Horse Business. She obviously didn't want to put that on a business card. So that's why it's on a book. Because and we'll bigger. put a link to it on our uh, on show, on notes. show notes. That's for sure. We'll put a link right to the Amazon site where they can buy it. So thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week, Helena. You bet. We'll be here with the scoop.